last season on the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. I am like the Martin Luther King for the small school college prospect. Oh, no, no, no. And But if they're sitting at the house and playing video games all off season, they won't be in the league at age 33. That's a Dwayne. And Rob Gronkowski is absolutely a Dwayne. And, and the solution is right in front of our faces. That Russell Wilson could be the best quarterback in the history of the NFL. And Eric Decker possesses a certain je ne sais quoi for the position. And I'm not talking just about the je ne sais quoi in his looks. I can see Eric Decker out there playing wide receiver, holding a martini. I mean, he looks elegant. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Liss. You can find me on Twitter at an outraged Jew. And back again with me, as always, the one, the only, Matt Kelly. You can find him on Twitter at fantasy underscore mansion. Matt, am I dreaming right now? Are we back? We're back. It's even weird. We're back! it how's it going man it's been a long layoff i'm feeling great man i'm so happy to be back the negotiations with the nateless camp for a season two of the sonic truth pod were long protracted excruciating really and there were many points in time where we thought that we were too far apart we're not going to come to terms but finally you decided that it was more important to you to start season two on time than to hold out. And I appreciate that. I appreciate you being back in the host chair because I do like this analyst chair. I don't want to be the host of every show. And that's why I like this show. I can sit back, listen to someone else, drive the show and enjoy the scenery and then just pop, 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 some hot takes here and there. This I love this show, man. People love the show. The show's pretty polarizing, though. I will say that. I have some people that I talked to at FSCA that were asking me point blank, when is Sonic Truth coming back? I can't wait for Sonic Truth. You and Nate Liss have the best rapport of any podcast host in all of fantasy football. I heard that. And on the other side of the spectrum, I heard people say, just as long as you don't do the Sonic Truth pod anymore, that's all I ask. Can we just know more of the Sonic Truth pod? It makes me uncomfortable listening to you berate Nate Liss. And I can't listen. People have trouble listening to it. Imagine what it's like to be the person on the other side of the firing squad. It's not as bad for them as it is for me. But that's what makes this show great. And I got a lot of people on Twitter. And I think sometimes they added you into the to the tweet asking when it's coming back. Is it dead? What's the deal? And I think you and I a long time ago sort of discussed that this show may be better fit as a seasonal sort of series type podcast rather than talking about stuff way into the season or after the season. There just becomes a dead point where there's just not that much to talk about. Sure, we could drum up things. We could dynasty podcast. It's best done in the winter. It's for the winter months when it's cold and dark outside. You make some hot cocoa, you put a blanket around yourself, and you turn on the Sonic Truth podcast. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, 
No, I agree. And and the nice thing is we don't we don't put up so many episodes at the end of the year that you're tired of us. We had people literally begging us to come back. Begging. As, aside from this Pleading. one person that didn't want the show to come back. They told you whatever you do, don't do the show. I don't know why because we have one of the best programs available for the listeners on the interwebs. The best Dynasty League podcast in the history of fantasy football podcasts. Totally. I don't know how much competition there is out there. We destroyed it all last year. (laughs) They're just charred remains. Uh, So we're going to pick up some new listeners this season, and maybe they never heard our movie trailer. We went a long way to blow up other podcasts out of our way. Oh, I'm going to retweet Escape from Under the Helmet tonight mm. to get people ready. Mm. That'll be that'll be the perfect the perfect lead end. I, I still really haven't tweeted about it. I kind of wanted to leave it, you know, behind closed doors. And then when the episode drops and people refresh their feed, yeah, because you were too busy negotiating every little detail of this contract to come back, prima donna. It's what my people do, Matt. We we read the fine print. We adjust the fine print. We redline it. One month stalemate. I didn't we, think we, the show was ever coming back. I didn't either. I honestly, I wanted it to come back, but no, you, you know how it goes. What? I was convinced that you were over the show. I mean, that's just negotiation 101 right there. These people, I'm talking to everybody listening, everybody with a headset. If you're in your car, if you're on the treadmill, if you're on a bicycle, everybody listening. We do this for free. We put a lot of time into it. Come on. Why do you do this? We had a perfectly good bit going. Why do you do this? No, no, no. This is Wizard of Oz. I'm peeling back the curtain. The Oz is back here. I'm letting you know. There There are some difficult times, some trying times. But we're back. I'm here. Matt's here. I can so, see him. So you, so you're saying you're a bad negotiator that you you ended up coming to terms for zero? Yes, that's fine. I came to terms for zero. I've got less stress. Stress was high. We got. It's a proportional difference now. It's great. Everything's fine. It's fine. We're we're back. We're going to provide you a fantastic show with ridiculous conversation mixed in with some blazing takes on running backs, on receivers, on tight ends, veterans and rookies. And I think we should get into some of that right now. Yeah, the one difference is that we're no longer on field goals. We're now on playerprofiler.com. Sonic Truth Pod is part of the Roto Underworld Radio family where it belongs. That's right. We didn't have to do any negotiating with them. In fact, we just we just left. We just stopped talking to them. But now it's time to talk about Dalvin Cook. Let's do it, man. Is he a first-round pick? Yes, right? Yes, absolutely. Dalvin Cook is without a doubt a first-round pick. Um, I know you gave me crap about this in the past where I do rankings pre-combine. Oh. I know that's not your thing, but it's Useless. based on it. <sighs> It's based on tape evaluation. I don't even want to say tape evaluation. By the way, it drives me nuts when people say tape and film. Okay, we go to draft breakdown. We watch it on TV. I don't have any film. I don't have any tape. I'm watching it digitally. Next point. 
Dalvin Cook is phenomenal. Well, which one and is it, though? Because it's either film or tape. It's neither. What do you call it? You call it digital? You say, I watched some digital of Dalvin Cook? Yeah, I'm going to say I watched some digital. That's what I'm going to start saying. Okay, so I say film. I do you say, do say film. film. I agree. Let's just stick to one. Film is right. fine. Just let's agree on something. From now, because most Dynasty Leaguers listen to the show, can we just all just agree on film? Thank you. Moving on. It's absolutely not tape. That's just a fact. It's it's not tape. So film would work. I just want you to know that when I say film, I'm really saying digital. So Dalvin Cook, for me, is the top running back in this upcoming draft class. Um, there may be some backlash from people on Twitter or even yourself. I don't know if you agree or disagree. We actually haven't really talked about this. But Dalvin Cook is a premier prospect. Premier. Three down back. The total focal point of the Florida State offense. Teams tried to scheme for him. They could not stop him. Dalvin Cook is a phenomenal player, and it's going to be exciting to see where he goes this year in the draft. What do I love in my running backs? Pass-catching ability. I love running backs that are fluid in space. I want the guy that's catching a lot of passes out of the backfield. And what has Dalvin Cook done in three years at Florida State? 79 receptions for 935 receiving yards, 11.8 yards per reception. Yes! What's notable about those yards per reception as well, if you look from his freshman year to his junior year, each year he's climbing. It's getting larger and larger. And as a junior, it was 14.8. Yeah, Dalvin Cook is a phenomenal player, especially in space. And as a receiver, that's where he's really, really special. I, I know that we had talked on the side, and I think one of the biggest criticisms of Dalvin Cook is going to be his size, right? Is that what people are saying? He's perhaps too small. It was. To when he was 204, it was a concern, but now he's up to 213 on pro football reference. He gained 10 pounds. If he's gaining 10 pounds and he's the size of Kenneth Dixon coming out, then there are no more concerns. As long as he can reach that 210 threshold, which is my threshold for bell cow size, certainly you can be a Jamal Charles, you can be a LaShawn McCoy, and you can achieve a proper bell cow opportunity share in the NFL if you are a generational talent. But if you're not a LaShawn McCoy and you're not a Jamal Charles, basically, if we don't know if you're generational yet, if we're not 100% sure that you're generational, we'd like you to be 210 pounds. And then I feel a lot better about it. And yeah, he and is. If he's, if he's 215, I'm beyond on board. Then actually, I would consider drafting him ahead of the wide receivers that are available, Mike Williams and Corey Davis. This class, we, we talked about it before, and I know some people shot it down. There was jokes, oh, don't trade away to get your 2017 first. The class isn't going to be good. Everybody always says it. I'm really excited about this particular podcast that we're doing right now because we're going to talk about a lot of these guys. This class is very top-heavy with running backs, and it starts with Dalvin Cook. And this is a guy who had back-to-back 20 touchdown seasons. He had 33 receptions this year. As a sophomore, 7.4 yards per carry. As a junior, 6.1. The guy did it all, all year long. It didn't matter who he faced. He crushed every opponent that was put in front of him. He checks every box, and those that have watched him play have noted explosiveness, lateral quickness, patience behind the line of scrimmage. He checks every box. There's more risk when you're drafting a rookie wide receiver. The bust rate is higher. 
But for running backs like a Dalvin Cook or last year, Ezekiel Elliott, the talent profile of the running backs that go in the early first round, assuming Dalvin Cook does go in the early first round or a team like the New York Jets or the Carolina Panthers, Mm. there's very little risk in that draft pick. That's why I would consider drafting Dalvin Cook with the 101 over a Corey Davis, who I have as my top wide receiver, who we'll talk about in a future show. And Dalvin Cook has been relatively healthy throughout his whole career. There's going to be other running backs on the show that we're going to talk about that have had some chronic issues and things that scouts say are going to linger. But Dalvin Cook has done a great job of staying healthy despite the fact that he has been a bell cow. 288 carries this last year, 33 receptions. He was heavily involved in this offense. So durability is not an issue either. So what is the issue with Dalvin? I don't think there's anything, and that is why for me personally right now, and I don't think it's going to change after the combine, Dalvin Cook is the running back one for me in this class. He's Ezekiel Elliott light. Checks all the boxes, including efficiency. He's never averaged less than 5.9 yards per carry in three seasons. That's incredibly difficult to do. As a freshman, 5.9 yards per carry, then 7.4 yards per carry on over 200 attempts. That's insane. And then again, 6.1 yards per carry on 288 attempts this past year. Yeah, and if if you go through his game log, pick pick a team. He carved up everybody. Michigan, 145 yards, 7.3 yards per carry. He carved up Boston College, Syracuse for 225, South Florida for 265. Dalvin Cook's amazing. I mean, I don't know what else there is to say about him unless we want to break him down, but I think we've said enough. Um, For people that are trying to make a decision, you're going to hear more on other running backs as we go forward, but it sounds like Matt and I are pretty much in line here that Dalvin Cook is the running back to grab if you've got first selection. Getting it out of the way. First show, get it out of the way. We love Dalvin Cook. He's incredible. There's actually not a lot to talk about because he checks every box and there are no weaknesses. Even the film grinders have very little to say that's not positive. There's very few analysts within the sports media conversation sphere that I'm seeing reading that can find a flaw in Dalvin Cook's game. So on to other running backs where we can have deeper, more interesting discussions, starting with Leonard Fournette, because Leonard Fournette is much more polarizing. You can read a lot on Twitter about Dalvin Cook. That's positive. Not so much with Leonard Fournette. Very polarizing player. Am I wrong? No, there's no doubt. Leonard Fournette has basically wrecked draft Twitter, actually. as I've almost had to back away from the Leonard Fournette conversations because there seems to be this recent unwarranted shockwave of these people that just hate Leonard Fournette, and it's really misappropriated. For me, I have Leonard Fournette in this class as the RB2, RB3, and we'll get to the guy that's probably both of our second running back. I'm not sure. Again, we haven't talked about this, so this is kind of exciting for me to hear your analysis on it. But I'm I do not on- have Leonard Fournette as my number two running back. Okay, that's fair. I don't necessarily have him as two either, but he's floating right there. I'm high on Leonard Fournette. So I wanted to bring this up. One of my favorite Twitter personalities, as you're familiar with, uh, his handle is at LifeSyourCup. He can be quite a bit contrarian. Uh, He is definitely on the anti-Leonard Fournette wagon. In fact, I believe he's got Fournette ranked in this draft class as the running back 14, which is is outrageous. (laughs) (laughs) Are you are you still with us? 
Are you still here? Did we lose you? Okay. You... Um, okay. So that's doesn't make sense. We need to have him on. Is that Fuse View? Yeah. F nobody knows how to say his name either. Fusu View. View. Fuse View. Fuse Needs to come I'll, on the podcast. He should be our first guest. He should. I, I have been dying to get him on here. We tried to set it up last year. You've been we got dying a, to get him on. You haven't even been doing the show for six months. All right, fair enough. I haven't been dying. But I've been anxious to get him on here since we just started recording 25 minutes ago. Because <laughs> I knew we were gonna hit this. And here's the thing. Let's let's get into this a little more. So he does have one great argument against Leonard Fournette, and we can start to talk about some of the other stuff. But one thing that he has brought up that seems to be valid is how often Leonard Fournette was used in the I formation, right? So with a fullback in front of him. And he did his own homework on it and came up with the production splits of Leonard Fournette in the I formation and outside of it. And in the end of it, the verdict was that without a fullback in front of him, he averaged 3.3 less yards per carry. And that's on 99 carries. So with a fullback in front of him, 8.73. Now, this is nothing to scoff at, but without a fullback, 5.42. So when you mix that with some of the arguments about his lateral agility and some of the sloppiness in his footwork at times as he does some improvisational movement when he gets caught in the backfield, you start to wonder, is there any validity to this claim about his success in the I formation versus being outside of it? I'm not a big fan of splits, generally speaking, because even at the professional level, 16 games, it's not a big sample size. And if you start splitting it out and parsing and splicing the data, samples within samples... It becomes very small sample sizes. When you see an inordinate amount of splits, the analyst tends to be predisposed to confirmation bias. And now we're talking about college. So now you're talking about a partial season because Leonard Fournette only played seven games last year. And now you're splitting a partial college season? No, I, I'm with you. It's on 99 carries. So the 99 carries is nothing. Well, okay, well, here's the thing. This is what I'm looking you at. You could give I, 99 I, carries to Ezekiel Elliott, and in one 99-carry sample, he carries it for 4.5 yards per carry, and then on another sample, he goes for 7.5 yards per carry. Le'Veon Bell's yards per carry at Michigan State was below 5. We need to get Life's Your Cup or Fusu Vu or Fusu <laughs> We need to get him on the show to clarify this because he's done it out of a total of 300 carries. And if you look at Leonard Fournette as a sophomore, he had 300 that season. So I'm wondering. I understand if, that. What I'm saying is even that isn't a large sample size because Le'Veon Bell had more carries than that at Michigan State and his yards per carry underwhelmed. Why? Most likely. It's not because Le'Veon Bell is an inefficient running back. Randomness. That's the problem we have with these splits. I know you hate the splits, Matt. I didn't even want to bring it up. Anyways, I also want to mention that there is a rumor out there. Now, tell me what you think about this. Okay, sit back. Think about this. There is a rumor that Leonard Fournette, I think it might have been his dad who claimed this, that Leonard Fournette at the Combine is going to run a 4.3. Okay, he's not going to run a 4.3, but the reason I like Leonard Fournette, generally speaking, number one is because he's established himself as an alpha dog running back. Just like Dalvin Cook is Ezekiel Elliott light, Leonard Fournette is Derrick Henry light. 
that one season in the SEC where both players proved that they could be complete and utterly dominant in a workhorse role. That was Derrick Henry, and that's Leonard Fournette. And both Leonard Fournette and Derrick Henry have one strike against them. And you can guess what it is. Neither one of them have been heavily used in the passing game. Neither were able to eclipse 20 receptions in any season at the college level. That, to me, is a red flag. That would be enough to not draft that running back in the first round if I were an NFL team. And it's the reason why I would question drafting Leonard Fournette in the top five picks. I believe that the exact same pre-draft process that we saw with Derrick Henry is going to play itself out with Leonard Fournette. I think that that's something that I agree with because you look back at the stats and you see that he was underutilized. And you know what? I don't even know if it's underutilized. I just think that he doesn't necessarily have the chops in that nuance of the game. He's a lot bigger. And again, when you look at his lateral movement skills, he doesn't get outside as easily. He's a lumbering, large running back who does run with size and speed. And when That's he gets the to thing, the second though, level. I've read this, that he's a lumbering back. I read on football Twitter that what am I missing with Leonard Fournette? The tape is not impressive. He lacks wow factor plays. He needs a runway. He lacks wiggle. He lacks breakaway speed. This is Derrick Henry all over again. If this is a Derrick Henry copy and paste scouting report... But when I watched Leonard Fournette, I saw an explosive playmaker. That's also how I felt when I watched Derrick Henry. Now, Leonard Fournette also is an exceptional athlete. I believe he was a basketball player in high school. I believe that the coaches at LSU stated that he could play wide receiver if asked to. His hand-eye coordination and his overall athleticism are that great. And that, to me, is exciting. If you have a big back, 230 pounds, and now you make him an incredible athlete, you drop him on a football field and let him go. Score lots of fantasy points. It doesn't have to be that hard. That's why I do like him. And there's two things I want to bring up. One, I wouldn't overthink Leonard Fournette if you're drafting in your fantasy leagues. He's a premier player. Some people are calling him generational. He's not necessarily going to be a miss. I just think that when you compare him to Dalvin. Who's calling him generational? uh, There's there's draft Twitter people that are calling him generational and scouts that are calling him generational. There's guys, Matt Miller calls him generational. One name. Matt Miller. Oh, my God. I knew you'd love that name. Here, But here's the thing. I, Did I wanna, he really I just, call Leonard Fournette a generational player? Yeah, people honestly believe it. I mean, his size and speed, people think that there hasn't been a running back like this since Adrian Peterson. This is why we need the combine measurables. Without the workout metrics, what the hell are we talking about? We're just jerking each other off. <laughs> okay, hold on, hold on. I can assure you that we're not jerking each other off. Dalvin Cook, to me, is the type of running back that you could put in almost any situation and his skill set would allow him to survive. On the other hand, I feel like Leonard Fournette's skill set and some of his deficiencies put him in a position where I'm actually going to care a little more about where he lands. Now, to the point about receptions, Leonard Fournette isn't the greatest receiver, body movement, hands. Those are things that I feel about him when I see him. But if we're just citing purely stats, I'm going to go back to Melvin Gordon if we want to cite guys and say that because they've got low receiving numbers, they're not going to produce at the next level because as you've seen now, there's been a loss of Danny Woodhead, so that did affect some things. But Melvin Gordon had, what, 41 catches this year, 33 last year. As a junior, he had 19 in college, and as a sophomore, he had one reception. So 
Hard to say that because the numbers reflect it, he can't become it. But if you've seen Fournette on tape, I don't know that he's going to turn into a 40 reception running back in the NFL. I like that, though. I like the Melvin Gordon comp. It's the first time I'd heard it, and I love it. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. So I've got a question. I remember last year you were talking about Samaj P. Ryan. And now we've got an even more polarizing figure in Joe Mixon. Well, who do they remind you of? Fred Taylor and Maurice Jones-Drew. Mm. Anybody else? 2005 Jacksonville Jaguars, Thunder and Lightning, Mixon and Pirine, Maurice Jones-Drew, and Fred Taylor. I think Fred Taylor and Joe Mixon are comparable, and I, th- I think Samaj P. Ryan is the second coming of MJD. That's a that's a new one for me. I like Samaj P. Ryan. I don't have him ahead of Mixon, and I don't know. I don't know if you have him currently ranked ahead of Mixon or not. No, I, no Mixon okay. is my number two running back. Spoiler right, alert: I'm just going to go right out and say it. I'm not going to hold back. Joe Mixon is exceptional his profile is up there with dalvin cook's profile checking all the boxes i just fell in love with this show all over again yeah joe mixon is definitely my number two running back he's so good two and three but yeah he's definitely the two mixon has been phenomenal and we were talking about this pre-show kind of trying to get back to our roots the first time we've talked on skype since the last episode that we did which People have been salivating for this one, but there are Slow some down. salivating. I think they've been salivating. I don't know. There's some thirsty people on Twitter. You should see they they're asking me, Nate, what's up with the show? Is there something between you and Matt? Is this like the time Doug Veach and Chad Parsons had that issue? I'm like, no, it's not the same thing, man. It's different. It's different. What is this show without a reference to Doug Veach? Oh, it's dead. It's not a show. It's just it's wasted show. air. No. So love that we, guy. <laughs> So Joe Mixon, obviously, unless you've been living in a bubble or this is your first time playing Dynasty Fantasy and you're really not into college scouting or you just don't care about that stuff yet. Come out with it. He hit somebody. He didn't just hit somebody. Joe Mixon hit a woman, and that's different than hitting a man. So it was it was something that was disliked by many. He was reprimanded by his coach for it. <clears throat> he sat out for it. And then two years later, the video came out. And as soon as the video came out and you saw it, everything changed. Joe Mixon went from a guy who had possible character issues. It was sort of spoken of and there was documentation of it and there was court stuff, but there was no video evidence. And then all of a sudden the video comes out. And honestly, at this point, I don't know where Joe Mixon goes in this draft. He put all of his weight behind that punch and there was some real anger in that video. You could see it could sense it the visceral response to that particular video was very much like the ray rice we didn't have video of greg hardy the domestic abuse case against greg hardy had more violent details in the court transcripts but those don't translate well into an online medium via tmz the way security video footage does a greg hardy throwing his girlfriend up in the air and having her land on a bed of guns does not elicit the same response as Joe Mixon or Ray Rice knocking out a woman on camera. These are bad dudes that play football. The sport of football invites those with a thirst for violence to play. 
We're watching gladiator spectacle. We're watching blood sport. We're watching players destroy their bodies for our entertainment, but also scrambling their brains, which leads to violence off the field as well. So this is part of the butterfly effect that happens in the sport of football. Could have been a collision that happened two years ago on the football field that reprogrammed his brain, making him predisposed to react in that manner two years later. I have no idea. It's a violent spectacle. For many of us, it's our primary source of sports entertainment, but also know that this is an example of the moral conundrum that football can elicit in a lot of people. There are immoralities in and around that sport on the field and off the field, and this was a manifestation of that. Here's an interesting question for you, though, Matt. So we both have Joe Mixon as our running back, too. I have him as 2-3, you have him as 2 solidly. Knowing that he may very well go undrafted. He's not going to go undrafted. It's possible that he goes undrafted. He can't go undrafted. Okay, over under fourth round. I think he's going to go in the third or fourth round. Okay. 1,274 yards on only 187 carries, 6.8 yards per carry, and sharing a backfield, still caught 37 passes for 538 yards, 14.5 yards per reception. These are Dalvin Cook numbers that Joe Mixon is posting at 226 pounds, Nate Liss. There's no way if Dalvin Cook gets drafted in the middle of the first round that Joe Mixon lasts past the middle of the third. At what point does an organization go, we're past the moral line? He should be a first-round pick. He should. The reason I felt the need to sermonize for three minutes about this incident is because I object to the arbitrary morality that so many sports fans and members of the sports media and members of the NFL scouting industrial complex engage in. For me, it's all or nothing. Either you come to a reckoning that this is a violent sport. It destroys lives, period. It's blood sport that destroys lives. You're either a part of it, whether it's a fan or an owner or somewhere in between, or you're not part of it. But if you've decided to engage in it, then you're acknowledging this fact. And in acknowledging this fact, you have to look at someone like Joe Mixon and say, this is a violent human being. We're going to have violent human beings on our team. It's inherent in the sport. So creating some arbitrary discount factor based on our perception of this person's character doesn't make any sense because there's no way to measure a person's character. If that punch was not caught on film, the perception of Joe Mixon's character would be dramatically different. And that's illogical. So the idea that any scout or player personnel director can look at Joe Mixon and see into his heart and grade his character is absurd. And once you come to the understanding that a man's character cannot be graded by the eye test, then you have to simply draft him based on his performance on the field. And what Joe Mixon has displayed on the field is first round NFL running back ability. Now, my question is, what if he shreds the combine? What if he posts the top Spark X score on playerprofiler.com of any of the running backs in this class? Then what? Teams are going to have a really difficult time with this because I know in Seattle there was issues when they drafted Frank Clark. He had a similar issue. 
and there's backlash from the fans. And I think teams are going to do their very best to hold off as long as they possibly can so that moral compass is showing north and it's right again. And then they're going to go, okay, I'm comfortable taking Joe Mixon now. Because what stops a team, what stops the New England Patriots from taking Joe Mixon with their first pick? Why not? He's a first-round talent. If he fell to 31-32, that is a steal. Joe Mixon is that good. But the problem is he's going to slip. So let me pose a question back to you. I, I think that if he blows up the combine, I don't know how much that changes. It might nudge him a little bit. I think everybody's already seen that he's got speed, size, hands, short area quickness. I think it's there on film. The reason I pose that question is because then there's a real argument whether or not you want Dalvin Cook or Joe Mixon. Okay, so that's a question I wanted to ask you. So, all right, let's, let's go with your theory. Let's say that Joe Mixon goes in the third round. And let's say that five other running backs go in front of him and three wide receivers, four wide receivers. You've got whatever pick you want in a dynasty draft. What is your order? Where is Joe Mixon in that order? Does it change for you? I mean, is he, is he your second or third player on your board regardless? Yeah, fourth player on my board, because if he goes in the third round, he doesn't have the draft capital that a Melvin Gordon had two years ago that can allow him to overcome a truly abysmal rookie season. Draft capital is important because it provides opportunity. The value of draft capital is in the opportunity. Players drafted in the first round are insulated from early career failure. It's not in the scouting grades that led to that draft capital. Okay, so with that said, you've got three guys in front of him. Is Fournette one of those guys if Dalvin slips to the third? No, my early board is Dalvin Cook, Corey Davis, Mike Williams, Joe Mixon, Leonard Fournette. Okay. Okay. So you're looking at those two receivers if you're not getting Dalvin. And right. If, yeah. I if, want either a first round can't miss running back or if not, right. give me one of those two probably can't miss, you know, uber wide receivers. Leonard Fournette, though, will probably go in front of Dalvin Cook in the NFL draft. I mean, there there's plenty of talk that Leonard Fournette no. is a top 10 pick. No. No, that's not going to happen. You don't think Fournette goes before Dalvin Cook? Look what happened to Derrick Henry. I agree. I love Dalvin Cook more than I love Leonard Fournette, but I will the not be surprised. The pre-draft evaluation process is going to play itself out, and Leonard Fournette's game is going to be picked apart. That's what's going to happen, and he's going to fall into the late first, early second round. Book it. I refuse to believe it. All right, we're going to book it. I'm saying Leonard Fournette gets drafted before Dalvin Cook, and I love Dalvin Cook. But Don't I can you remember just... where we were at this time last year with Derrick Henry? Yeah, I do. It it doesn't change. That. Derrick Henry. This is last... Groundhog Day. You know today is the actual <laughs> Groundhog Day, right, yeah. Nate? No, I do. do I actually that. saw that this morning. Yeah, it blew my mind. I didn't even know. First time I've looked at my calendar ever, and it said it. Most days you can look at a calendar, there's nothing important. Groundhog Day. That's the name the, of the show. Leonard the, Fournette, Groundhog Day. The thing is, Leonard Fournette has everything working in his favor that could propel him over Dalvin Cook because of his size. The NFL still covets size. They do. And Leonard Fournette is a big, fast guy who can make one cut, get upfield, and he's a nightmare after the first level. So I'm not going to be surprised if a team takes Leonard Fournette before Dalvin Cook. I refuse to be surprised. Be. Okay, well, that's fair enough. I will not be surprised. I think P. Ryan is probably 
a third round running back. I think that his talent is greater than that. But the more you see stuff floating around, the more you read just sort of scout feel, because that does matter. Those guys are going back to organizations. They've got their guys on their board. Um, I think that Sam J. P. Ryan is, is going to be a great value guy. And I, think that he goes in the third I think Samaj P. Ryan is going to post the highest speed score of any of the running backs in this class because he supposedly runs a 4 440 at 510 235 that's enough for me right there I can rationalize away the lack of receiving because he was sharing a backfield with one of the best receivers in this class Joe Mixon That's why he wasn't catching a lot of passes, just like Derrick Henry last year wasn't catching a lot of passes because he was sharing a backfield with Kenyon Drake. So I'm going to look at that speed score, rationalize the rest away, and if I have a late first-round pick in my rookie draft, I will be targeting Samaj P. Ryan. He's a good runner, and he's got great balance for his size. We don't have it on the show sheet. I would have loved to have talked about him, and we could probably push it to next week or another time. But the running back for me that I have ahead of P. Ryan is Deontay Foreman. And I actually think that Foreman is going to put up a better speed score. I think Foreman has the characteristics and the athleticism to do it. When you watch him run, his breakaway speed is unbelievably outruns corners. And he's kind of the guy that I use as my baseline when I look at P. Ryan because they're similar size. And if you go look at what they did over the year, I totally agree. I think that there's an overshadowing of P. Ryan because how special Mixon was and what he did as a receiver. P. Ryan is a great talent. I just think that for his size, he's a great value in the third. But if I'm a team drafting, I actually covet Foreman more than him. Your man Matt Miller agrees. At NFL Draft Scout on Twitter wrote, Samaje Pirine is, quote, just a guy to me. Needs an offensive line to clear space for him. Not a creator. Doesn't have great speed. I think calling Pirine is really a death sentence, Matt, and that's pun intended there. It's a good thing, though. I want Matt Miller to disagree with me. The more I disagree with Matt Miller, the better my evaluations will end up being. The playerprofiler.com rookie rankings will be coming out soon after the combine, and the more they can diverge with Matt Miller, the better. Hey, Matt Miller did have Michael Thomas, the wide receiver, one last year, so he's not always wrong. He got he's me on a- Michael Thomas. <laughs> okay. Anyways, the I, score I think... is Matt Kelly a thousand, Matt Miller one. <laughs> All right. Anyways, I don't think that it's fair to say that he doesn't have great speed. I, again, I, I'm comparing him to other running backs in this class of similar size. When I compare him to Foreman, I don't think he has the same acceleration and top end speed as Foreman. But that's not to take away from the fact that Samaje P. Ryan has a lot of characteristics for a player of his size that teams are going to love. Great balance, great cutting ability. There's tons of times where you see him break a tackle, go to one hand, or bend a little more than I think you would expect a guy of his size to be able to do. I like him, but for me, I have him at the running back six area right now, six or seven. What did Foreman run of the combine? He hasn't ran it yet, so I don't know what to say. Exactly. So are you saying that you think that P. Ryan will run a faster 40 than Foreman? I'm saying I don't know. And I'm saying having these conversations before the combine is the equivalent of a circle jerk. It is not the equivalent of a circle jerk. There's only two of us, number one. Number two, I really do think that just watching them play, and this is this is visual, so it's subjective. We see what we want to see, right? 
I try to look at everything through through a neutral pair of glasses, but it is it is difficult to do at times. And when we get to the combine, Ray Bans, those neutral glasses that you wear. Yeah, yeah, I actually own a pair of Ray Bans. I really do like them. They're great glasses, great quality. Maybe we can get them for a sponsor. Neutralizers. It helps you see prospects for what they really are. Okay, I want to talk about. Christian McCaffrey. I feel like we've been talking about so many running backs, but Christian McCaffrey, who posted 2,000 yards as a sophomore, gets forgotten about. I feel bad. I don't know how McCaffrey is forgotten about. I think, though, if there was any particular reason, it would be the fact that if you went to the Stanford website and you looked at his player profile and you looked at his weight, it says 197. And that, for me... Not saying he can't put on size. That, for me, is one of the biggest red flags for a player like him. His characteristics, when you look at what he can do, obviously McCaffrey has elite hands. He had 37 catches this year. He had 45 last year. Dynamic in space. He's the guy that Stanford just wanted the ball in his hands every game. He's a total playmaker. The problem is... I can't believe that he posted 2,000 yards and 45 receptions for another 645 receiving yards as a sophomore. His sophomore season was mind-bending. Incredible! How is he not going to be one of the better running backs in the NFL with that kind of production at a major conference university? I just don't see it. I don't see how a player that could post those numbers... 6.0 yards per carry on 337 carries? How are we not talking about him more? I think you're right. I think the answer is he's 200 pounds. And if he doesn't post Chris Johnson, Jamal Charles level straight line speed at the combine, he's not going to have a successful every down workhorse back comp in the NFL. We'll be looking at a situational passing down specialist that may be Christian McCaffrey's fate in the NFL if he's not an incredible athlete at the combine. I know this is my go-to, and I'm going to do it again, but if Christian McCaffrey goes to, say, the New England Patriots, how much do you love him there? How much do you love him if he goes to a team like New England that really can utilize that spatial talent like Christian McCaffrey? They have Deion Lewis. Why would they have any interest in Christian McCaffrey? Hypothetical. Purely hypothetical. Let's say Deion Lewis, God rest his soul, got hit by a train because he was not paying attention. He had his You're headphones killing Deion Lewis? Hypothetically killing him. I'm in dynasty. I don't want to let him go. Let's just say Deion Lewis hypothetically. I love Deion Lewis. Why would you kill him? I love him too. Let's just hypothetical here. What the fuck is wrong with you? Let's role play here. Hypothetical. I don't want to role play. I don't like this game at all. Deion Lewis is dead. I don't know what other team to use. There's no other team in the NFL that would excite me if he went there as much as the New England Patriots because I don't know anybody who uses the running back out of the backfield better than they do. Perhaps if he went to, say, the New York Jets, you know, in philosophy, they did play out of the backfield. Belial Powell looked great. Maybe McCaffrey there as a one-two punch with somebody would be great. But I just draft a running back earlier than McCaffrey. They're going to target someone like Leonard Fournette. Sure. I totally agree. And I've seen people say that McCaffrey goes to the Miami Dolphins. I've seen that a couple of times. They've got him. I know. I'll send you some of these. It's hard. I think the team you're looking for as an ideal landing spot for Christian McCaffrey is the New Orleans Saints. Because they also know how to leverage a satellite back. And Tim Hightower is a free agent. Mark Ingram and the front office have not been getting along. 
And the only other running back on the roster was a late-round pick, Daniel Lasco. Christian McCaffrey would be an upgrade over Lasco in the passing game. That makes a lot of sense. Well, he adds the immediate kick return value too. But here's the question. As an owner in Dynasty, how comfortable are you owning McCaffrey knowing that he's probably not going to take you know, first and second downs away from Ingram? And in a year or two or whatever, when Ingram's contract runs out, if they decide not to re-sign him, What's to say that somewhere between now and then or after that, they don't go and get another big back? You know, it doesn't feel like he's secure. It's tough ownership. You'd have to almost hope that he gets used like a Deion Lewis or a Vereen did to where you're getting that PPR value because we, you know, we do talk about this from like an NFL prospect standpoint where sometimes we get a little bit away from the dynasty value of it. So if we bring it back in and we really focus on that, how much do you really want to invest into Christian McCaffrey knowing that if he doesn't put on another 10, 15 pounds and show a little more at the next level that he very well may just be a situational talent? This is why you can't draft rookies in your startup if the startup is occurring before the NFL draft because many running backs are highly landing spot dependent. Christian McCaffrey being the best example of a landing spot dependent asset. There aren't that many great landing spots for running backs. If he goes to the Giants, that's a problem because they have Shane Vereen as a passing down specialist. If they go, if he goes to Washington, they already have Chris Thompson, but we'll assume that he supplants Chris Thompson. He can't go to Carolina because Carolina is going to probably draft a running back in the first or second round. So now you start to go down the list, the index of all teams that need a running back. Christian McCaffrey might be one of those players who doesn't have a chair to sit in when the music stops. I like it. He oftentimes, I mean, at least in some of the mocks that I've looked at, they've got him as a first round back. And I've been su surprised. <laughs> what? What's happening? I'm serious. Five first round picks at the running back position this year. I'm surprised. He, yeah, it really, it's like four first round picks. I, I'm dead serious. And yeah. And I'm, I'm telling you, if I've got a pick as much as McCaffrey was a phenom all year long, there's still probably two or three guys, you know, excluding Mixon, excluding Cook, that I'm taking in front of McCaffrey. I love him, but if I'm in Dynasty, I'm probably looking at McCaffrey at what, the 106, 107? Is that where he's starting to come into your conversation where you're probably taking him? I have no got... idea, Nate. I don't know where he's going to play. Until do I this. know where he's going to play, I have no idea how to value him. Stop None. It. The other place I'd like to see him go, other than New Orleans, is Indianapolis. One of those two teams, that's best case scenario. Then I'm looking to draft him in the late first round of rookie drafts. But if he lands somewhere that already has an elite passing down specialist or an established workhorse back, let's say he gets drafted by the LA Rams, then we know he's going to be a situational player, third down back only. I can't draft him in the first round in that situation. I just can't. Just want to tell you, he's not going to go to the Colts because that's where Dalvin Cook's going because they want to see Andrew Luck die without an offensive line. So, so who's the who's the other first round pick? Is it Jamal Williams? Is he the next first round pick that's being projected? <laughs> no, it's not Jamal Williams. Are you asking about? Are you asking about the mock drafts? No, I'm asking for your thoughts on this. Is a segue for you to talk about the guy you want to talk about, Jamal Williams. I'm having flashbacks to the last time we did a podcast together. 
there's a lot of things that I like about Jamal Williams. I have a lot of friends on Twitter who have Jamal Williams graded much higher than I do. In fact, there are a handful of analysts on Twitter who have Jamal Williams graded as. Oh, no. Wait for it, Matt. Don't truncate this. We got to make noise because it'll truncate this down and it won't be as spectacular. Don't so I'm going to talk. People don't know what that means. That's such an inside podcast term. Don't define it to them, Matt. Don't let them know. I'm clicking something off the screen. Something popped up in the middle of it. What are you doing? Wait for it. A first round prospect. That's what I just said. That's what they say. They say Jamal Williams is a first round graded fuck prospect. <sighs> you know, I try not to swear. I do it in my real life. I do it in my outside life. I'll leave that to you. When you do it, it's got a lot of power behind it. But I'm being dead serious. Jamal Williams is being graded in some circles as a first round prospect. (laughs) I personally do not see it. Um, I I think he's a really good player. I don't Um, get the fascination. He set his career high in both touchdowns and receptions as a freshman in 2012. He played for four years. I understand that he enrolled at BYU as a 17-year-old, so he's still only 21. But what is the fascination with Jamal Williams? How is he any different than Jonathan Williams from Arkansas last year? It's a good it's a good comp. I just think that the differences come in stylistic things. And again, this is going to come down to a total subjective thing that you and I will differentiate on film. I think the one thing, though, about Jamal Williams watching him that I really liked that I never saw with Jonathan Williams was Jamal's ability to churn extra yards regardless of what was happening in front of him, whether it was an arm tackle or he was sidestepping something. He has a knack for falling forward, and we've seen players in the NFL – Le'Veon Bell. Am I still saying his name wrong? I don't understand. Le'Veon Bell. You're now comparing him to Le'Veon Bell? Uh, One characteristic. Le'Veon Bell has that ability to fall forward and pick up chunk yards like that. And that is one thing that Jamal Williams does do, and he does it well. That's all I'm saying. I don't have a first-round grade on him, though. We're leaking into Frankencomp territory where... (laughs) Jamal Williams is some combination of Jonathan Williams and Le'Veon Bell. What about Carlos Williams? Does he have any Carlos Williams in him? Can we combine all the Williamses into one player? Ricky Williams, all the old, all the Williamses from NFL history in one enormous Frankencop to define Jonathan Williams. Only if he rolls in 40 pounds overweight to the combine can he have the Carlos Williams comp. And Carlos Williams is just gone. Jamal Williams is the most combine-dependent running back in the NFL draft. If he posts workout metrics like Alex Collins, I think he falls into the mid-rounds. If he posts incredible measurables, if he has Matt Jones-level agility or DeMarco Murray-level burst, then maybe he rises into the second round. But you're never going to see a running back with Jamal Williams' profile drafted in the first round. I mean, it's a red flag that he didn't come out early. Look at all these running backs we've been talking about. Dalvin Cook, Leonard Fournette. You look at their statistics, they don't have four years of statistics because they're all coming out early, except Jamal Williams. That's a red flag. Well, it makes no sense for Dalvin Cook and Leonard Fournette and these guys to come back and spend another year. They've proved it. They've 
destroyed everybody that was ever put in front of them. Their talent level's too high, and I agree. Sometimes guys stay four years, you know, whether it's for a degree or whether it's because they just didn't for put it together. Hey, man. <laughs> for a degree. Why are you laughing at that? There's guys that are staying for a degree. Hey, man, let me bring up one name for you. May I bring up Elton Brand? Elton Brand, Duke basketball. Google that crap. It happens. Anyways. Thank God Elton Brand got his degree. Anyways. The point is, I, I do agree. If a guy stays four years, not always a great sign. Like you said, he's a bit younger. There's no way he goes in the first round. He's not even going to sniff a top 32 pick. But he should go in the first round, Nate. He has a diploma. <laughs> he brought, I don't even know if he actually got a diploma. I'm not sure of that. He's got four years of college, though. That is a fact. While we're talking about first-round picks, what about Kareem Hunt? Maybe he's a first-round pick. Oh, my gosh. All right, look, let, enough blowing up the uh, first round. We're going to have, what, nine running backs in the first round by the time this episode ends. Kareem Hunt, however, could be Here we go. this year's Jordan Howard. Oh, God. No, no. I'm being serious. <laughs> the guy that people are going to not suspect to rise on the depth chart and take over the starting job from whatever team has some starter that is inept or gets hurt. He's six foot, 225. His senior year, he posted monster numbers, 1,400 rush yards, 10 touchdowns, 41 receptions. I see that. This guy's a lot better than I think he's getting credit for. Kareem is a great player. He's one of those guys that's probably going to go in the fourth or the fifth round, but he's got the talent profile, and it'll be interesting to see what he does at the combine. I think 41 he's going to. 41 catches, 41 receptions. <laughs> that's exciting. He posted almost 2,000 on purpose yards. How can you not like a guy like that? But he did it at Toledo. So similar to David Johnson, we need to wait for the workout metrics to come back in. But he's 225 pounds. If he posts David Johnson level, 40 time, burst, agility score, feel free to be maximum excited about Kareem Hunt. And if you look what he did his sophomore year, that that's particularly special um, just from a running standpoint 205 attempts 1631 yards 8.0 yards per carry mind-blowing 16 touchdowns unbelievable literally a vapor trail (laughs) could be seen behind him throughout his sophomore season it's it's unbelievable i mean that's a phenomenal year and you know same amount of games the next year there was a definite downtick in production but Again, this is a guy who has all the characteristics from a production standpoint to be a productive player in the NFL, but I agree. We need to see what he does at the combine. Let's let's see what he does in his drills, and then we'll really talk. My favorite value play at running back in rookie drafts, before the combine and before the NFL draft, speaking completely extemporaneously and uselessly, <laughs> my favorite value play is... Jeremy McNichols for some of the same reasons why we like Kareem Hunt. I also like Jeremy McNichols. I really, really like Jeremy McNichols, and I was fortunate enough to get to see him play live this year uh, when he killed Oregon State, and he's everything that the stats do indicate he is, possibly the best running back to ever come out of Boise State. Move over Jay Ajayi. 
He is the best running back to ever come out of Boise State. And I'm going to go a step further. He is the best pass catching back in this class, better than Dalvin Cook and better than even Joe Mixon, certainly better than Kareem Hunt. He looks like a smooth operator in the passing game, like a wide receiver. Yeah, he, the only guy in this class that I would put him next to for pass catching chops, I he's he's there with Dalvin Cook. I think that Christian McCaffrey is one of those guys, but also McCaffrey is a lot lighter than Jeremy McNichols is. He's not smooth. He's smooth. Smooth, but it's very natural with McNichols. It doesn't look oh. like he's trying to do things in open space when he's catching the ball, or when he's running routes, and he's going to be a great third down back right oh, off the bat. That's such a great third down back. I very rarely have strong opinions about running style, but I noticed something about McNichols. When he reaches the second level, he seems to lack any lateral. He, he seems to be predisposed to run straight ahead and not move laterally. So many occasions watching McNichols on film where I thought I saw a vector that he could take diagonally. And he never opted to take that route always straight ahead right into the defender. And he's not big enough to truck defenders. So it always ended in a tackle. That's why his yards per carry was 5.4 and not 6.4. And that's the difference between being a Bobby Rainey and being a CJ Procise. He reminds me of a better across the board Bobby Rainey. I That's a great comp. I actually haven't heard that before, so... Credits to you for coming up with a new one. And I, I love th- Bobby Rainey. Bobby Rainey, criminally underutilized in the NFL. Jeremy McNichols could have the same fate because you start to look at all the teams that need running backs juxtaposed with the running backs that are available in this draft. And Jeremy McNichols, like some other running backs we've talked about today, could end up on a roster with a deep running back depth chart and not be able to win the opportunity as a rookie to return his value in rookie drafts. So that's why the draft is going to be so important. Where does McNichols go? Where does Jamal Williams go? Where does Kareem Hunt go? We need to know where they're going to go because it can make the difference between someone being a value in the second round or a reach in the third. What did Foreman run at the Combine? He hasn't ran it yet, so I don't know what to say. Exactly. Having these conversations before the Combine is the equivalent of a circle jerk. It is not the equivalent of a circle jerk. There's only two of us. 
guys stay four years, you know, whether it's for a degree or whether it's because they just didn't for put it together. Degree. Hey, man. <laughs> for a degree. But he should go in the first round, Nate. He has a diploma. <laughs> I believe he's got Fournette ranked in this draft class as the running back 14, which is <laughs> <laughs> which is outrageous. <laughs> are you are you still with us? Are you still here? Did we lose you? Okay. You... Uh, okay. So that's does it make sense? Fusu Vu or uh, there's there's draft Twitter people that are calling him generational and scouts that are calling him generational. There's guys Matt one Miller name, calls him generational. One name, someone, one name, Matt Who? Miller. Oh my god. Without the workout metrics, what the hell are we talking about? We're just jerking each other off. We're back. Even We're back. It. Kareem Hunt, however, could be we go. this year's Jordan Howard. No, no. I'm being serious. Thank God his name isn't Marik Hunt. He's not smooth. He's smooth. People don't know what that means. That's such an inside podcast term. Don't define it to them, Matt. Don't let them know. I'm clicking something off the screen. Something popped up in the middle of it. I want Matt Miller to disagree with me. The more I disagree with Matt Miller, the better my evaluations will end up being. The score is Matt Kelly 1,000, Matt Miller (laughs) 1. What Greg Hardy did to his girlfriend, throwing her in the air, and she landed on a bed covered in guns. (laughs) I I don't know. That's not funny. You shouldn't be laughing at that. I'm sorry. Well, it's the way you looked at me. It's the... You looked at me and you had a like a question mark about what you were we saying. At. We don't laugh at things like that. But if we had video of him throwing his girlfriend on a bed of guns, I don't think he ever gets a contract with the Cowboys. That's the difference between seeing it on video, seeing it with your eyes, letting that visceral response wash over you, seeing the violence, and just reading about it and having to imagine it in your mind's eye. That's the difference between an explosive scandal and a scandal that people talk about without actually getting overly outraged. The problem is that our judicial system does an awful job punishing domestic abuse. That's the big issue is that we, in general, in our judiciary system, are ill-equipped to properly punish domestic violence. And that's why fans look to the commissioner of leagues to add additional punishment on top of what our judicial system allocates. And I get it. I get why it happens. But if I'm an NFL franchise, I don't run my team based on public relations. I ask who the most talented player is at a position of need, and I draft that player. And if you let other factors influence your decision, then you're going to walk away from the draft with suboptimal selections. 
Jonathan Williams is the most combine-dependent player in the NFL draft. Say the name again. You said Jonathan. <laughs> Jamal Williams is the most combine-dependent running back in the NFL draft. So if yeah. the listener can't figure it out and give me some credit for not being a fucking moron, then don't listen to the show. That's my I didn't, new attitude. I didn't turn it off. I should have. I I should have just been like, oh, this, this is this, this is confusing. He doesn't, he doesn't even know, know when Roethlisberger went to the Super Bowl. He thinks it was two years ago. Turn I have Wikipedia. He doesn't have Wikipedia. Yeah, I don't have Wikipedia. Sorry, guys. I my computer can't access Wikipedia. I was banned. <laughs> I did. I shut it off and turned on UTH. I just moved yeah, right over. This is this is the next worst thing. That was a great turn of a phrase, wasn't it? That was. Yeah, you just weaved your way right out of there. It yeah. was perfect. What? When I pulled up McNichols on draft breakdown, I was shocked to learn that he was black. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Jeremy McNichols? In what uh, world is a person named Jeremy McNichols not a white kid from Boston? The fact that he's black was an upset to me. Mm. 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 Whoever I was punching wouldn't have even moved. Would just had taken it and been like, <laughs> what the fuck are you doing, you clown? Uh, and you know what? If that video leaked, I wouldn't be drafted just because NFL teams would be embarrassed for me. Like, we don't want right. anyone that's this weak on our team. We do this for free. We put a <laughs> lot of time into it. Come on. Why do you do this? We had and, a perfectly good bit going. Why do you do this? I think Sam J. I think Samaj P. Ryan. God, I keep his name up. Yeah, you got me saying Sam J. now. Fuck, man. What do you call it? You call it digital? You say I watched some digital of Dalvin Cook? It's absolutely not tape. <laughs> you know today is the actual <laughs> Groundhog Day, right, yeah. Nate? No, I do. I actually that. saw that this morning. Yeah, it blew my mind. I didn't even know. First time I've looked at my calendar ever and it said it. I wanted to talk about Zach Zenner. I beat the hell out of that but, drum. I mean, Zach Zenner is 230 pounds and McCaffrey's 200 pounds. That, that, that makes sense. They're just, they're both white though. And that, that's why there was going to be the correlation. They both know the struggle. Only them and Peyton Hillis can really feel the pain. That's going in the outtakes. Stop it.